0: Welcome to a new episode of Speed Change Repeat. On this episode, I sit down with Heiko Schilling, the head of navigation and the vice president of engineering for TomTom. TomTom Tom is a Dutch multinational based in Amsterdam focusing on location technology. Once known for its consumer sat navs, now paving its way into autonomous vehicles. In this episode, we talk about TomTom's understanding of the future of autonomous vehicles the challenges that they see ahead, and the impact of autonomous vehicles on urban design, among other things. Stay tuned and listen on. So, Heiko, Uh, welcome to our episode on Speed Change Repeat. Here we are today in Amsterdam at the TomTom office, and we are very happy to have you here and in your own office. Why don't you briefly tell us who are you and
1: what do you do? Yeah, hello. Welcome. So welcome to Amsterdam. It's beautiful weather today. So uh, you picked a nice day. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm Heiko Schilling. Uh, I'm running uh, what's called product unit navigation in TomTom. So TomTom is organized in individual product units. So we have a full, think of it as a startup in a corporate. Mm -hmm. So uh, I run everything, navigation apps, uh, in-vehicle integrated navigation systems and navigation APIs. Um, so TomTom Tom in general is a, a location technology company. Uh, we used to be a consumer company. Right. Uh, started in 1901. Mm-hmm. Uh, founded by two students here from Free University in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. Uh, plus uh, two other people and the four founders are more or less still in the company, which right. makes it kind of a nice uh, startup feeling still. Um, we did consumer products for... 10, 15 years. Uh, The big one was uh, the SatNav. So that was the personal navigation device. That also uh, created the TomTom brand awareness. So we became a household brand uh, and uh, we're still selling today uh, over 4,000 of those uh, SatNavs. It's pretty amazing as a business, uh, but it's clear that uh, uh, there's a long tail uh, uh, end of life for the product uh, and for the category. Uh, TomTom created that category, by the way. Wow. Uh, at yeah. some point, there were 400 uh, companies in uh, SatNav globally, which was pretty amazing. And then uh, back in 2008, uh, three things happened. So financial crisis, uh, the iPhone came out, <laughs> uh, and Google Maps uh, was free, available on the iPhone. Indeed. Um, and that was the starting point for TomTom, uh, to reinvent itself, essentially. Right? right. So we went out of, uh, of hardware, more or less, um, Went into adjacent uh, uh, businesses. So automotive is one that we targeted. So today we, we started from scratch back in, in 2007, 2008 in automotive. Uh, so today we have 80% market share in, in traffic services. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, uh, um, uh, substantial market share in maps, digital maps. Um, and we are market leader in automotive navigation as well. Um, so that's the, the full software stack. Uh, from scratch so yeah. it's pretty cool and um, then uh, we went into what we call enterprise so that's every business which is not related to automotive Yeah. so there we have customers like Apple so when you start the iPhone so you have the the location APIs on there so that's, that's TomTom Maps uh, we have customers like Uber so when uh, Raj, you're sitting there, you're calling an Uber, um, you see there's like uh, eight taxis around you and it takes uh, like eight minutes waiting time. So that's TomTom telling mm-hmm. you it's mm-hmm. eight minutes uh, when you get into the car and then start driving. And uh, you see on the app and the driver tells you, hey, it's 25 minutes to where I have to go. That's again, that's TomTom. So it's basically it's the, um, the data for route calculation and the data for for uh, knowing your estimated time of arrival. So that's, that's what we're doing there.
0: Wow, well, that's a very already great response. There's so many things that you've already mentioned that are interesting to dissect. And if I look at TomTom's journey, right? And it's a company that had to reinvent itself quite a few times, right? And if you look at first software, and then at one point, you moved into hardware, and then again, back into the software. And it'll be interesting, maybe you uh, you pro- you were not there, right? At the, with the company when the iPhone was launched. Do you know any sort of stories of how how that went down and what was going on in the mind of the board is like what do we do now
1: Actually actually I, I was there Oh you were I there. There. <laughs> Yeah yeah it was I was it was really just my second year in the company okay. so I joined uh, end of 2006 beginning uh, 2007 uh-huh. um and and literally so that was at the boom time when we were shipping uh, uh Satnavs crazy right. right so it was the, the fastest shipping consumer device at the time and you literally you join a consumer company who is just peaking right Absolutely. so it's a startup company who's just found its uh, market product fit and the killer product and uh, it's just going through the roof so uh, i joined uh, when the company was a couple of hundred people and um, the, today the couple uh, companies over five thousand people and, and it scaled up um well so when the iphone came out um uh, uh, obviously, uh, there were people who underestimated the iPhone, right? So, you know, so you're thinking of Steve Palmer and, and, right. and a couple of other people, right? <laughs> yeah. So who said like it's not going to happen? Or Nokia is another good example, right? Um, uh, but. Uh, I think obviously everybody is proven wrong by now on that. <laughs> I guess uh, TomTom was actually uh, one of the founders. Peter Franz was on stage with Steve Jobs at that time, okay. uh, launching. Um, uh, it wasn't the first launch; it was one of the later launches, uh, launching the first navigation app on on the iPhone. Right. right? So, and right. Uh, uh, one of the learnings from that time was: uh, it's a new technology; um, you have to embrace it as early as possible in your mm. strategy. So we kind of uh, missed the boat a bit on that, uh, and, and I'm talking 13 years ago. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, um, so because the consumer business was just running, and everybody thought like, oh, "Why change?" Right. Indeed. Indeed. So, but the, the 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 big learning for me was literally be aware of what's the next technology wave, and try to be on it as early as you can.
0: Right, and that's interesting because if you listen to Satya Nadella, I think he says, talks about it quite well. When a company is successful that also is a moment to slow down or sort of realize that you're carrying a baggage, right? And the company is growing and pre sort of 2007, I think, what was it, 2006, there was an IPO and the company went public. And it's interesting to look at the stock price, how that took quite a hit after uh, the launch of the iPhone. And I was like, wow, this is a complete new paradigm. But what is also interesting to see is that a lot of companies went out of business, but TomTom hasn't. There must be something in the leadership of the company that said, well, we found a way, the secret sauce, to reinvent ourselves. And there was a lot of, I saw, acquisitions that took place trying to diversify and see what is it that TomTom will uh, uh, stand for. And uh, over the years, I see that now a big part of um, investments or interest in this is in the space of autonomous vehicles uh, with the University of Amsterdam I saw that the, um, uh, there was a new lab that is being launched uh, on autonomous vehicles so there's quite a lot of interesting uh, discussions at that point so what would you say within the company culture that keeps the company reinventing
1: interesting question so the so my explanation for that was always that um, because you have the founders in there, they take a long-term view. Okay. Right? So there, you you they come with it, uh, with a certain passion into the business, and this is how they started. That sets the tone in the company. That there's a certain passion for for everything location right so digital maps so as we kind of one of the big achievements of the company is that we we eliminated paper maps right so, mm-hmm. you know paper maps
0: right no well, no not anymore <laughs> right yeah, yeah i so think my the, generation does yeah, already yeah. doesn't really know how to read paper maps yeah, anymore yeah there you
1: go there you go all
0: we can follow is left and right and if there's a fox or something <laughs> yeah, that makes yeah, it easy yeah
1: exactly right so the so it's it's the passion thing that keeps you going but then uh, because it's your company you take a long term view right. right so and 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 that makes a lot of difference right so if you have a uh, um if it's run by a sea level suite, which is just hired, right? So then there's no long term view mm. usually. I think right?
0: that's something which Simon Sinek describes as the infinite game versus the finite game, right? Exactly, exactly. So that's that, precisely that, what it is. Wow, ah, that's interesting. Now, I mean, uh, before we move on to sort of the space of more of navigation and HD maps and autonomous vehicles, why don't we just go back to your personal story a bit? And sort of how have you developed over time, your academic background, and uh, you've started a few companies here and there. So why don't you just walk us through your life a bit?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. You <laughs> really want to hear that. <laughs> it, it's quite interesting.
0: And you've lived around in many different places. And before the interview, we briefly talked about all the different <laughs> places that you've been to. So I
1: think it would be great yeah, to hear yeah. that. Okay. So... Yeah, I'm 45 now, um, uh, 30 years in, in, software business. So I was always amazed by, by software in general. So what's possible on digital, um, but amazed by data, uh, and amazed by, by algorithms who can basically take data as an input and, and produce intelligent output, right? right? So, and, and what learnings, what insights do you extra gain from that? What extra benefits do you gain? So I started at the age of 15. So I grew up in, in East Germany, um, I was 15 when the wall came down, um, and uh, three months later we had our first startup business, which uh, actually was uh, an online bookshop. Right. You're right. So yeah. and, and think you know, so that was 1989, so that was pre-internet. Uh, we had a friend who was running uh, um, a bookshop uh, in our hometown at that time, and, and we were just watching telly and having a beer, and or not, not having a beer. I was 15, <laughs> having a drink. Uh, and um, did Je- Jeff Bezos learn about this from you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did yeah, he I was to meet him uh, somewhere in Berlin back then. I, w- I was wondering, so, we, <laughs> so he came up with that idea, asking essentially it was a question for him, right? So can you not just build something for my customers so that they use their modem, dial in, uh, search on my catalog CD-ROM, and, and uh, <laughs> right. uh, find a book, uh, and then they pick it up in the shop, right? And we thought oh, that sounds like an interesting thing, so we took a few weekends and hacked something together, and, and uh, so we ended up selling this to eighty bookshops in Germany, in the Netherlands, and Austria. Uh, we went on the Frankfurt Book Fair, so we uh-huh. had our booth there, and um, and I uh, sold the thing in, in 1995. Again, that was pre dot com and, and all the hype on on startups and stuff. So we thought like a huge amount of money, but uh, in hindsight, it was like. No, nothing. Um, and the reason I sold it was that uh, there was one advice my mom always gave me whatever you do, son, uh, make sure you have at least one academic degree. Right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs>
0: I think a lot of mothers say that, right? Yeah, so the,
1: yeah. and I thought like, yeah, maybe mom, you're right, right? So and then um, you
0: decided to do four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've
1: uh, made it a hobby, right? So <laughs> it's just, uh, I picked up a few more academic degrees, but I, I like the uh, entrepreneurial thing. And um, so I had uh, two more startups. So one had to do with year 2000. Y2K, Uh, you know uh, you may remember the panic and 1999, uh, everybody felt like the world is falling over right. and, uh, and it didn't <laughs> happen. Still recovered and, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, it was a good time for business because we worked on a lot of huge databases to basically fix the the, the data fields, right? Mm-hmm. So what used to be just a two digit number had to become a four digit field and uh, to make sure that um, there's no weird stuff happening and, and, uh, so that was that was the second gig, and the third gig was um, uh, one of the degrees I picked up was was a PhD in, in discrete maths. Um, so uh, that was all about algorithms mm-hmm. uh, on on uh, all sorts of graphs. Uh, one of them was a road network graph. Uh, you take the planets' road. World network graph and and what can you do with that um, and and there we picked up a few interesting algorithmic challenges for for automotive yeah so we started uh, uh, with a couple of friends we had a startup what we where we called ourselves algorithm um, uh, algorithmic consulting and, and and that was when and that was uh, two thousand three to 2006 oh,
0: wow. i think the, the word itself algorithms was still something <laughs> yeah something
1: to to yeah become a buzzword and, and right known and stuff <laughs> so we had interesting projects running there and and mm-hmm. um, uh and um yeah i can't disclose some of them so unfortunately but um uh yeah, so this is how I went or came into automotive, and this is uh, basically how I uh, uh, also then came to TomTom. Right. right. So um, uh, the first time I heard about TomTom was actually through the uh, Chaos Computer Club, so which happens to be the largest uh, association of computer coders, hackers mm-hmm. in Europe. So eight thousand people are in there. Okay. Uh, it's something that uh, was founded in, I think it was eighty nine or something. in right. In, in uh, Uh, in Hamburg or Berlin, Uh I can't remember. Um, And they came together every year and showed basically the systems they they managed to get into and what they learned from that. And then they presented that as white hat hackers uh, back to the companies. And normally the companies got annoyed and and (laughs) they got sued and then la-la-la. And that is how the presentation usually ended. But there was one guy who... Managed to get into the first TomTom satnav, and he presented uh, what he done. So he rooted yeah. the thing, and he started a chess game on it. And, and, <laughs> uh, and the story actually didn't finish with. And then the company got annoyed, so the story finished with. Then the founder called me and offered me a job, right? So oh. <laughs> and, that, and that was the first time I heard about TomTom, Tom, and I thought like, wow, that sounds like a cool company. So and right. So, and then yeah, so three years later, when I finished the the PhD, and was like, okay, what next? Um, I applied to a bunch of companies, and TomTom Tom came along, and uh, I thought like. Oh I know that company. Uh, right. And uh, so I started there and um and this was in which office? So that was originally uh, that was funny I was living in in the UK already so uh-huh. I actually I applied for a hardware position in the London office. I I've no clue about hardware. I'm not a hardware guy. I'm a software guy. Uh, but I thought like, okay, let's just send an application and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then the guys uh, saw the application at TomTom and thought like, oh, this guy is coming from Berlin. So uh, we just about to open an office in of Berlin. So send the uh, resume over. So they did send it to Berlin. And then uh, the person they... Um, uh, who started the office there was actually an old colleague of mine. And, okay. Uh, and he thought, oh, I know Haiko. Yeah. So let's have a chat. And then, uh, so actually we two ended up, uh, growing the Berlin office. So that was, that was the first office in TomTom. Then I relocated to Amsterdam, uh, worked there in the office, um, and, and, uh, from there crew. Um, and, uh, yeah, so when I joined TomTom, it was literally a uh, consumer and satnavs, um, uh, but over time we basically scaled up, and that was what made it interesting in TomTom. So I stayed in the company for thirteen years. Right. Uh, I, I never believed I stayed that long in uh, <laughs> one single company, but uh-huh. because it reinvented itself, uh, it didn't feel like the same company in all those years. So we we scaled it up first to from zero to one hundred million satnavs. So. Um, and then we scaled it up through the um, uh, adjacent businesses in enterprise automotive and telematics to uh, to date six hundred million customers. So that means there's uh, six hundred active users of TomTom technology out there who are on the road driving, which is that's quite a responsibility. <laughs> exactly, that's quite uh, quite a number. So just to put this in perspective, so the world has close to eight billion inhabitants. Right. So twenty five percent of them are drivers. So um, so you have around about uh, 2 billion drivers. Um, and then you have around about 1 billion cars. Uh, so cars are typically shared and it gets bigger and more increased. But uh, we as TomTom, we serve around about 30% of all the drivers out there uh, with our technology. So which- The
0: interesting thing is, I mean, if you would go back 10 years or 13, 14 years, a lot of people would know that they're using TomTom. Yes. Nowadays majority of people would not even know that a lot of what they're using is TomTom. So in which products can, or let's say the consumer actually uses TomTom on the background? like? So yeah. You mentioned Uber was one of them. Is that yeah. Uber globally? Is that uh, specific? Yeah, it's markets? Uber. It's
1: Uber. Uber globally. Um, I think they are serving now 800 cities or so globally. Um, so it's it's uh, the maps and the traffic uh, as a component that goes in there, mm-hmm. um, and and you wouldn't know as a user. So what you know is basically what I described, right? So you call an Uber, uh, the time it takes to get to you, right? So for the Uber car, so that requires that you have a digital map and that you have real time traffic. Um, so we're using from all of those 600 million customers, we're using anonymized probe data, mm-hmm. as we call mm-hmm. it. So that's a GPS coordinate with a timestamp. So right. Nothing else. If you have a lot of that and then we, we get a billion of those data points. Uh, daily into the system process that and from that you literally can tell on global scale um, where in the world there's traffic jam and and traffic and so on so for uber we use that to tell you how quick the car can or the taxi driver can come to you and how quick then uh, it takes for the taxi driver to take you take you wherever you want to go Um if you take that further so we launched a partnership with with microsoft azure Mm -hmm. um so Azure is building Azure Maps, which okay. essentially is is um, uh, so that's Tom uh, that's Microsoft's uh, cloud business, right? Um, uh, the Maps Azure Maps in there that's essentially TomTom Tom technology. So that's that's everything we offer in terms of location technology. Um, and then uh, everybody who's using Microsoft, so take Microsoft uh, Power BI, right? Uh, so there you basically have then. Uh, TomTom technology behind that uh, okay. for analytics, right? So you, uh-huh. you get location data there. Um, obviously, everybody in in automotive, so there's pretty much every car maker in the world is using some piece or bit of TomTom, right? So when you get into the car and you have a sat nav in there, uh, built in, mm-hmm. right? Uh, That's an area, Uh, but also, and that even less people know that, um, uh, when you have a driver assistance systems, right? right? So that's that's cruise control, right? So you switch on cruise control, control. yeah, yeah, assisted cruise control. Where you have the distance to the car driving in front of you. So there's TomTom technology in there, right? So, um, so that's the starting point to automate the driving. And, and that basically, because we are, we have a million cars on the road with level one, level two, mm-hmm. uh, driver assistance systems or automation. Um, uh, I explain that level link system in a minute. Um, but that was for us the starting point to think, okay, actually, we do have a key ingredient for, for autonomous driving, right? right. So because uh, if, if uh, it's no longer the human who is driving the car, but the computer starts driving the car, that computer needs to know where to go. So this is where Absolutely. you typically need yeah. what you need in a navigation map, right? But then also that computer needs to know, uh, okay, what's coming next, right? So what's up front? And then you have your sensors that have a certain range. But in order to make this a redundant safety system, you need to look beyond your sensors. Correct. Right? Yeah. Sensors can't look around corners, uh-huh. so sensors get influenced mm. by weather conditions. Mm-hmm. If there's mm-hmm. snow, it's it's uh, an influence on the sensor quality or the data quality. Uh, if there's uh, sunlight shining directly into your lidar or camera system, uh, there's uh, there's an issue, right? So therefore, you need to have a digital map super precise digital map in the background. Right, and that's what you call HD maps. Exactly, that's, uh, HD stands for high-definition map, um, and and that means basically you... Up to two centimeters? uh, Yeah, so it's a centimeter accuracy map, right? So uh, just to put, again, put this in perspective, um, on your navigation system if you start your mobile phone and your favorite navigation app uh, it, you wouldn't mind if if you're off by 10 or 20 meters right, right so yeah. you roughly can interpret that uh, where you are and then if you have your navigation system it's it's a glitch in the system if it's uh, a road is missing or something is uh, uh, off by a few meters but now think the computer is driving so 10 meter difference. Would make a difference whether the computer is driving on the road <laughs> or driving on the sidewalk. No, right?
0: indeed. And I think the main in- difference is that when we are using maps ourselves, then we are the ones who are context aware. Yeah. So if it shows something that I may not necessarily agree with, because I have my own senses to counteract that. But as a computer, context is very difficult to teach the the machine itself. So unless the data itself is very accurate, we might get into very big troubles, right? So 10 meters may be scary, even half a meter is scary, So especially in the streets of Amsterdam where you have bikes and everything moving back and
1: forth. So that's the other thing that you need to consider is that it's called, uh, in autonomous driving, it's called environmental... Uh, model so that's basically all the other participants around you right right so where how are they moving you need to compute that process that and then you need to build strategies on how you basically what's the course of action you take as the car driving in that model right and And trying
0: to predict all the other participants of the road is that
1: trying to predict where they go right so where they move and what's what's a key element of that is that uh, you put this in relation to where your location is Right. right. So and and again, this is where the HD map helps, and and where technologies like um, uh, precise lo- location or localization, uh, uh, road DNA is a technology that we're using there. So it's basically localizing you as a car in the digital map at centimeter accuracy, and then localizing all the other participants: Amsterdam bicycle drivers, uh, trams on the road, um, pedestrians, other cars. Localizing that in the map as well, and then you can do computation on that. Um, where everybody's moving, um, uh, how is it in relation to each other, and what's your path of action, where you, uh, what's, what's your micro-manoeuvre as right. the next, next action that you need to trigger. That seems like a lot
0: of work <laughs> and a lot of combination of, uh, let's say, sensory maps. So, so where, within the space of, uh, let's say, autonomous vehicles, does TomTom position itself? Is it going to be still B2B? Is there an ambition to go B2C? How does this look like? Yeah.
1: Uh, it's definitely B2B. Um, so we provide, we are component provider for HD maps, first and foremost. Uh, so we work typically either with the car maker themselves or with tier ones or suppliers, direct suppliers into the car maker. Right. Um, and then we provide the HD map integrated into whatever system is being used, yeah. the operating yeah. system. Uh, and we provide the interaction with what's called the canvas. Um, so the, the, uh, there's a, a standardised uh, communication protocol in the car where all the sensor data is exchanged, etc. Right. So this is how we position ourselves. Um, however, in order to demonstrate what the technology actually ca- can do, right? So steer up people's thinking and, and uh, <laughs> uh, so dream mm-hmm. a bit and, and so on. So we did build our own uh, autonomous driving car. Right. So, automated driving car, uh, which came out of an acquisition we've done uh, three, four years ago, uh, Autonomous. Uh, that was the company we acquired, based in Berlin. And we just launched uh, Trillion, which right. is our self-driving car, uh, and it has well, all well, the. Why is it called Trillion? What Trillion. It, yeah, you know Trisha? from uh, back to the view, uh, um, ah okay that's the, <laughs> yeah, okay uh, so um oh, now I'm thinking of the english translation uh, douglas adams uh-huh. uh, um, um, hitchhiker's guide to the to the universe right so there's uh, there's an android in there and she's called trillion so we're probably the first company who has a female name for a self-driving car which is cool and <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, and there's the, the main character in Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy. So he falls in love with Trillian. And so it's a bit of an insider joke. I
0: mean, like. I, I thought of it, it was, this was the way to a trillion dollar company. But maybe that's the second interpretation, <laughs> right? So in
1: hindsight, you can change the story to that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. at the moment.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Nice. So now if we look at, um, HD maps, right? So if you look at GPS as... Um, so let me ask you this. How do you collect the data for HD maps?
1: How different yeah, is it from yeah. traditional maps? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, it is different. Um, and essentially, uh, um, this is not just an incremental optimization, right? So um, so everything people have done before was navigation maps, digital navigation maps and digital browsing maps. And, and there you're okay with GPS accuracy, which is typically 20, uh, 10 to 20 meter accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we have to do is essentially remapping the whole world, especially the road network. That's so quite well, an ambition. It is. <laughs> so there's uh, considering that there's close to a hundred million uh, kilometers of road network. Right. And and some have uh, 12 or more lanes. So you need to basically remap um, uh, that. So far, we've done a million of those. Uh, How do you do that? Uh, and that's a combination of different technologies. So um, uh, so we're using uh, what we call mobile mapping vans. Uh-huh. So that's a van with uh, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of sensors in there. One is uh, 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 lidars, so that's right. uh, laser sensors. Yeah. Um, uh, then you have all sorts of other sensors in there. And you collect a lot of data while you drive with that car. Uh, so there's uh, it's getting easily into the range of petabyte of data that you're collecting over time. And you need to process that data to identify what's called road furniture, so that's markings on the road or anything that's relevant mm-hmm. for you driving a car, right? So whether that's uh, road signs or whether that's a traffic light or uh, whether that's pedestrian crossings, right? So everything that's that's relevant for you driving the car. So, so you collect all the sensor data, then you, you apply a lot of machine learning, to actually um, have, so traditionally it was a manual effort to now review and oh collect God. the data and then basically so
0: classify, and classify oh it and, and,
1: and, and get it out. But no way you can scale that, right? So you need machine learning and machine learning is always comes in when you have a repetitive process um, yeah. that, that you need to do at scale. The beauty is that uh, because we're doing digital mapping since the 80s, uh, we probably have, the longest history of, of collected data on on things like road signs. Right? Yeah. So, and what you typically need for machine learning is you need to train the networks, the neural networks. For that, you need an awful lot of data and an awful lot of data in different forms and shapes so that you get get a good selection of, 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 mm-hmm. of, of the neural network trainer. Um, and we have that and, and we're building on that. So this is where the history of TomTom comes in with with SatNav. So basically all that uh, data that we collected there, all the experience there that helps now us moving faster into mm. into autonomous driving space. So that's just one area, how you do this. Other areas, obviously the GPS trace data. Uh-huh. So having that um, uh, back um, uh, 12 years uh Of of GPS trace data globally with global Uh, coverage—that's also unique. So nobody else has that. So it was pre-phone, pre um, uh, um, uh, where others collecting now GPS data. And how was that collected? So that's that's mostly the satnavs, but also the companies where we supplied maps too. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. and um, so what you do with the GPS trace data is obviously you can. Detect in, real, detect in real time uh, things like um, lane numbers and, and whether it's a roundabout or crossing and um, uh, stuff like that. So that's all uh, that you get to your initial HD map and and a lot of companies do that and uh, the, the questions you need to always ask is two things. One is, can you do it at scale? Right. Absolutely, so which, I think uh, the
0: scalability uh, and I think that's where the sort of discussion of how Nokia's approach versus yeah. the, the Waze approach uh, yeah, later on... Yeah. It, does this seem like more the earlier sort of approach that we can do it all? But is there a way to crowdsource this information? I was just thinking with the more cars, with I mean, um, look at Teslas or the ones which are already on the market, which can collect some of the data. Are you trying to crowdsource that information from there?
1: Yeah, so we we started crowdsourcing with one of the first satnavs um, in. So that was back in two thousand. Uh, Five or Mm six-ish, right? So basically, what you could do on the PND on the satnav was that you could uh, give feedback on on road names, on uh, driving directions, on turn restrictions. So um and from then there was always crowdsourced data in the product right yeah. so that is what we call active input uh, and then the passive input is the gps data and 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 that keeps going so now the second question you need to ask with hd maps is can you can you keep that up to date
0: absolutely that's so what that's I was thinking th- because with roads and gps okay it's fine but what about all the road markings that continuously keep changing or whether took down a, a sign and what are you going to do about that? So how do you keep it updated? That's a very good yeah, question.
1: Yeah. So the, uh, and it depends on the attribute, right? So it depends on the element that you want to keep up to date, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's, if it's road stretches, then the GPS trader uh, works quite nice, right? So if it's road signs, then, uh, nobody wants to crowdsource road signs, right? So you don't have people basically. <laughs> the incentive put, is not yeah, there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's no incentive yeah. there unless it's uh, uh, speed limits right mm. so for speed limits you have an obvious incentive right so right. that's where the speed cam service comes in and, and that's one of the things we do so now for the road signs you you basically most of modern camp- uh, cars have now a front facing camera exactly. right so and so we uh-huh. hooking with car makers on that data stream um, so to to uh, leverage that and and get basically processed data back into the system interesting that. So, yeah, so in total, so there's no easy answer on how you do an HD map, right? So um, because it's very many different attributes that you need to keep up to date and collect. And then for each one, literally, you end up sometimes having a completely different approach, right? right. Like speed limits is different from classic road signs, right? And, Indeed. And, and so on. Well,
0: there is, there is a lot. And the, the, the interesting thing is, if you look at now... So autonomous vehicles. And if you look at road infrastructure, we're based in Amsterdam. Where would you say the Dutch infrastructure compares to the world in this? Does the current Dutch infrastructure support the development of autonomous vehicles or the other way around? In terms of just the infrastructure, not the legal aspect and the rest. Yeah. Like, do you think it's easier to set up an uh, autonomous vehicle here versus, for example, somewhere in the valley? Or if we take it to... Jakarta or to India, it's probably yeah, a different yeah, situation. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, let me think. Um so first is weather conditions, right? So the, the the advantage you have in the valley is that uh, most of the month in the year you have uh, sunny weather, right? right? So and then not much uh, precipitation, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have, yeah, you have clear visibility, you have uh, wider roads, right? Mm-hmm. So and you don't have that much interaction of other participants, mm-hmm. right? So take Amsterdam. Uh, in the seventies, they started uh, closing roads for traffic here, Great. And then they introduced bicycle uh, lanes and and pedestrians, and and still you have a few traffic. Uh, uh, uh road um car roads going through the city now if you take on a normal day like this just try to walk through the city <laughs> as a human being you already right. have struggled struggle with that right so and uh i visited with uh, my family a few times here in the the city and my wife just didn't want to drive here because right. you, you have like you need to have eyes all over to watch right Absolutely. so tried to Think what a computer would do here, right? So so (laughs) it's an overwhelming thought on its own. (laughs) So uh, clearly, that makes it harder. And um, so, uh, ideally, um, uh, um, what you will see is that in, in simple scenarios, which means, for instance, highways just go straight. It's clear that it's anything between two and and six or eight lanes, right? right. So you have the lane markers clear. In those scenarios, you can have uh, automated driving already today. Right. So I was speaking level one uh, to level so five. just for actually, the audience, is,
0: how do you define the five levels? Yes.
1: So the um, uh, level one or level zero is basically uh, the cars as you know them. So the human drivers driving, and there's no further assistance right. from the car. Level five means you actually don't need a human in the car completely automated and automated the, put in players, all the scenarios yeah. right. globally right so where we are today is level one and level two automation right mm-hmm. so some car makers claim they have level three right but level three actually means that you have um, well-defined scenarios where you don't need any attention from the human mm-hmm. right and you don't have that in reality right so even the cars that that claim that today you still need to have a human driver who pays attention all the time right
0: is that due to technology or the legal aspects
1: that's the um that's both. So there's legal legislation and there's two technical to the technology, right? So the technology is not ready that in, in in on general purpose use cases, general purpose road networks in all the countries in the world you can have level three and right. above today, right? So that's everybody who claims that, or anybody who claims that. Is, I mean, is Tesla just, is
0: a big one to, uh, to be claiming that, yeah. right?
1: So, if, yeah, so it's a good example. Um, so, there were uh, a number of incidents, uh, actually, uh, also also deadly incidents with Tesla. So, one right. was 2016, if I remember mm. right, one was 2019. Right. If you compare what happened, was that um, uh, the 16, 2016 incident, a trailer crossed the path of a Tesla. Um, and it had a uh, a truck trailer, uh, and the trailer was fairly was completely wide and fairly high. Right. And the Tesla identified it as a road sign, um, and thought like, okay, so you can speed up. So the driver in the car wasn't paying attention. He was actually watching a Harry Potter movie, right? <laughs> so, and I
0: think since then they stopped the movies yeah. while driving. Yeah.
1: So the, so they captivated the, the, the cabin and, mm. and, and, and the person died. But if you oh. compare that to what happened in the 2019 scenario, it was actually quite similar, mm-hmm. right? So actually, if you would have had a map with all the road information there, uh, you could have as a redundancy check, check. Okay. Is there a road sign here, oh, which is I white see. and big, right? So and to cross-check the exactly, information. Uh-huh. exactly, and that is that is basically where you have a number of use cases that you still need to eliminate, right? So until the technology is is ready, uh, you need to make sure that um, it, it somewhere you all of making you ten x more safer when a human-driven person, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. then you can really claim you are there, right? right.
0: And uh, I feel like, and on the legal aspect, it's like the companies are still not taking responsibility or any action and that probably is because they're not fully sure of the capa- capabilities of the machine. Now on the technology side what would you say is the bottleneck because um is it the storage is the compute is it something else what would it be?
1: Uh it's a mixture of things I would say right. It's probably so, not an easy uh, answer right that's yeah, so, something we spend all, all of your time <laughs> yeah, researching a, right. Yeah it's all all of what you just explained right. So one is the sheer amount of data so you're talking petabyte of data that's get Produced in the car, you literally can't store that in the car for longer than a day of data, right? right? So you need to upload that, but then do you have a network that can upload petabyte of data? No, right? So, so therefore you need to do some processing in the car. Do mm. I have a strong enough processor that can actually process neural networks um, and identify all my road signs, lanes, etc.? No, right? Mm. So there's on all those fronts you you need to you need to work further, right? Uh, then. Uh, do we have a global uh, HD map which covers hundred million lines of uh, uh, kilometers of road? No, right. So um, is this
0: some a challenge that you single handedly as a company want to take up, or is this a no <laughs> project? Uh, no,
1: no. It's a project of of many, and and you need many partners in that, Indeed. right? So because one is the data, right? So you need global data input. Right. So you need, the, the, the trick is always you need redundancy layers of, of data right So for that you need partners and, uh, and then obviously you need to have partners who are willing to go to market with you and and to that you test the technology right. So, right. uh, I wouldn't make any guesses how long it will take. Right? So, and because uh, any guess is wrong. Right? That's
0: so. interesting because generally on our podcast, the last question is <laughs> making a prediction. <laughs> but we know that with any prediction, there's probably, yeah. a, uh, it's probably going to be a mistake. But hey, I mean, that's the whole fun with predictions. Mm. We can try to predict all the time, right? Yeah. Um, now, if we look at the space of autonomous vehicles and um, the way it is developing further. Um, Do you see any specific, let's say, geographic regions, right, or areas that would be first to to support it and develop it? Would it be European Union? Would it be maybe the US or is it China or is there somewhat right now no clarity on that?
1: So actually what we see is that across the globe, legislation is moving faster than anticipated. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the predictions I heard five years ago is that it's going to be legislation going to be slowest. But in fact, you see a lot of legislation is already. pretty scared. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you still have a lot of open questions there, but it's faster than, than what people thought five years ago. Um, so I, I don't think that will be bottleneck. Um, right. So it needs to uh, reach uh, mass market level and that will take a few more years. Uh, The the next one is um, areas where climate is uh, extreme or not Mm. extreme, right? Mm -hmm. So that will obviously play a difference. Um, Then the use cases we talked about, so autopilots on highways, you see that. Very quickly, very, true. very rapidly uh, taking pace. Um, then, uh, different use cases, whether it's private cars or, or robot taxis, as they call it, right? Right. Exactly. The fleets. Beg- yeah. yeah. Exactly. So the, no, so because for robot taxis, nobody cares that they look ugly because you can have all the sensors sticking right. out. And then for your private <laughs> car, true. you might have an issue if you have the Well, a long that's lighter. a matter
0: of time because uh, yeah. I think in one of your previous uh, engagements, you talked about, cars uh, car is a status symbol. Yes, but over time, I think for already the young people, it's yeah. not necessarily that. Yeah. It's about finding a mobility solution and how it looks. And even if you own yeah. one, it's about functionality over the design and yeah. <laughs> aspects yeah. like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that is uh, on status symbol. I, I truly believe that, right? So there, there will be a part of the population who still see it as a status symbol, and that will stay even if it's autonomous, right? And it always reminds me of uh, Edison when he invented the mm. electric light pipe, right? So, Bob, he said, like, uh, we make electricity so cheap that only the rich will burn candles and yeah. it becomes the status <laughs> well, symbol. that is actually and, true, yeah, right? There are certain uh, yeah, still yeah.
0: royal families that you'd see yeah, a lot of candles. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So, the yeah. and, and with cars, it will be the same, right? So, it will become a status symbol. Same
0: goes with horses to an extent, yeah, right? Yeah, there you go, there you go, right? Yeah. So,
1: so that, but that's not the majority of the uh-huh. market, right? So,
0: That's interesting. <laughs> is it, that... that yeah, nice. Oh. And so, what makes you excited about autonomous vehicles, and what scares you? I mean, let's yeah. start with the excited part. And yeah. sort yeah. of the the, the excitement
1: of is uh, what it enables, right? So, think of uh, uh, my parents. They are seventy-four now, right? So, and, and my mom, num- my mom never had a driving license, right? And my dad gets into an age where he finds it hard to drive longer than an hour, right? So, and uh, enabling still mobility for them. So it's is a huge game. It's inclusiveness, right? Oh. So you have uh, no, so any sort of disability, any form of right. age, right? So it doesn't matter, right? So you That's could still have the same level young. of mobility, right. which I really like. Um, uh, the other thing is, um, at the moment, the choice, if you want to be uh, um, so thinking of Fridays for Future and sustainability and and uh, low carbon dioxide emissions, um, It seems to be the only choice is you go public transport and you forget about your car. Correct, So you give up your individuality for public transport, right? right? So my prediction, here comes one prediction at least, Uh right? So my prediction is uh, that choice will go away because what autonomous cars enable is that you actually can keep your individualism, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's basically individual mass transport, if right. you think that through right. right so because you don't want to go to train station or to an airport right so you want to be picked up where you are and you want to be uh, dropped off, Where you want to go, right? So, no.
0: But do you think car ownership will still play a role within the mass or that will. No.
1: So, I don't think, as I have a bet with my son who's 10 years. So, Richard, you don't need a (laughs) driver. Right. So, he he doesn't, right? So, so So that's
0: actually quite interesting. uh, If this actually goes through, that means uh, we only had about two or three generations that actually have driving licenses. There you go. There's Mm -hmm. a whole infrastructure that has been created to to make that happen. There you go. Hmm. So the, the inclusiveness part is quite interesting. And if you look at Europe in that case, we have quite a good, um, uh, let's say, infrastructure for public transport versus a lot of other states. Do you think Europe would have a difficult time adopting them?
1: Um Yes, right. So because a lot of that is uh, bricks and mortar, and, and and that's not an easy one that you can change, right? right? So, but um, over time, if you if you think of autonomous car fleets that uh, facilitate all of your mobility needs, right. Individualized, right? So you don't need parking lots anymore in cities, right? So you don't need uh, wide roads anymore because they you can drive them very narrower, right? Because the technology is much more accurate.
0: So this is super interesting, and this is something which I had also a lot of discussions with my friends about. If we have autonomous vehicles, how would the city infrastructure change overall yeah. around it? Because there's a lot of it's a multifaceted question. Because what happens is our current road infrastructure is optimized towards human reaction time. Yes. Assuming that computers can think faster and we're going to get better at it, we probably would get to the point that cars can swoop by much faster and at a much higher speed. That's right. And that begs the question of, How will cities look like? Then maybe I don't have to live in the city center. I might as well live somewhere else, commute much faster. What's your say on that?
1: Yeah, it's a very good point, right? So uh, human factor is is a limitation on the current infrastructure, right? So the limitation of human (coughs) reaction time and, and what you can process... If uh, you get back to what I said earlier, that uh, autonomous driving cars have to be ten x better mm. on that, mm-hmm. right? So then that means lanes can is be narrow. Is that just to
0: get humans trust on this, or why? Uh, one
1: one thing is to trust, but once you are over the trust level and you have mass adoption, right? right? So the other benefit is really that um, uh, the the amount of space that currently is taken by car infrastructure in the city is the, is, yeah, and, yeah. the parking streets, etc is huge absolutely right? so you can get away with most of that right mm. so you don't need parking so you send your fleet outside right. the city indeed, they indeed. get recharged or it's they it's being get reused garaged.
0: otherwise our car c- usage actually is what about three uh, percent on average so yeah it's five percent utilization oh, right. of a car is and 95 percent is parking
1: right indeed. so and yeah. so you get rid of all of that you give a lot of the space to the people what right a waste, so huh? in the city right <laughs> yeah so also that's one. Second, um uh, you can you don't have to live in the city anymore mm. and, yeah most Indeed. of the people, fifty percent of urban population, or fifty percent of world population, lives in urban areas. Right, because this is where the work is and where Absolutely. your leisure points are, and and what have you. You don't need to live close to that anymore if you have a transport system that gets you individualized whenever you need it, in and out of it. So you you could have a, a higher quality of living, and um, that's. Mm. That's my second That's fairly right. safe prediction I can right. give you. Right, Right,
0: so, yeah. <laughs> right. and uh, if we pile that up or in addition with uh, Robocopters or Hyperloop solutions, then we don't necessarily yeah. even have to live around one city. Yeah. Might as well live in Birmingham and come here for a podcast yeah. and go yeah. back to yeah. the same yeah. exactly. time, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So
1: we always had a joke in in TomTom Tom of that the ultimate goal is so uh, no, talking about infinite game versus finite game. Yeah. The ultimate goal is teleportation. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> so think of that, think that through, so then you get a picture of, of what it could look like as a never increment uh, with autonomous vehicle fleets. Right?
0: Indeed. And uh, one of the final questions is, uh, so, so there's a lot of definitely promise. An interesting one is the, uh, impact on sustainability, impact on inclusion. The other side is the sort of short term disruption that autonomous vehicles is already bringing on and will be bringing on to the market. And I think also from your past uh, talks, what I've gathered is you mentioned that it's not that one big bust, but it's more of this incremental change. Yeah, yeah. How? Uh, so, what are you concerned about, or are you concerned about autonomous vehicles coming into the market and what changes it would have on people's work and maybe something else?
1: Yes. Um, me personally, I'm usually not concerned with change, right? So I like change because it always opens up more, opens up more possibilities and more opportunity. Right. Um, but I, I realize not everybody has a view like that. So there's certainly a ton of concerns around that because people will change jobs driven by different kinds of skills that are needed, right? So in order to build an autonomous car, you need to know about, so typically autonomous cars and electric cars, electric vehicles go hand in hand because it's a natural fit of technologies. Mm -hmm. So that means all your knowledge about uh, the typical combustion engines indeed, and yeah. drive trains and stuff. So that's 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 all knowledge. I mean,
0: that's right? why the, the CEOs are having their hands over yeah, their exactly, heads right exactly, now. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So how
1: do you how do you shift a workforce that hmm. is super knowledgeable about, about a technology in Germany at this point in time? So, so that's no? yeah. so how do you shift that? That skill set over into a new world, right? right. So there's a, a massive turnover, right? So then, secondary, uh, the debate is still out whether you need more cars with self driving cars or less, right? Mm. So I, I, that exactly right. Yeah? So yeah. and and uh, the current business models—that's the other big disruption that will come. The current business models of most car makers is based on units of cars sold. Right? Absolutely, that's the KPI. Yes, You're right. And, uh, so if uh, if you think that through, because ninety-five percent of these cars are idle. Right. Yeah. So you you make a huge investment as a family, and then ninety five percent of it is just that investment. Right. So now the, the 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 future KPI will be probably something around kilometers driven or mm. mobility served. Yeah, you're right. right. So you're right. getting and that's a classic one. You go from a per unit business model to a service business Absolutely. model. Absolutely, indeed. And and that's usually the bigger disruption,
0: right? But that's actually, I mean, not really that new. If you look at the technology companies, if you look at Apple, right? And um, Apple's big business when the iPhone units sold. But then at one point they stopped uh, talking about units sold and they said, hey, listen, Apple Card, Apple Music, Apple TV, the services is where we focus on. That's what they're proud of. Same goes with Microsoft. You know, with Microsoft, we'd sell licenses to Windows and um, Office. And then boom, now it's not anymore that model is a completely different model. So, same goes with if we look at Daimler, actually, the consortium of even imagining 10 years ago that Daimler and BMW would be in the same group discussing innovation. I think there's something significant that is happening, and Tesla must have poked up a lot yeah, of those yeah, uh, CEOs yeah. there. Yeah. So, but what do you briefly think of the German automotive? Do they still have a chance?
1: I think they do, right? So because that kind of change will not happen overnight. Right? right. So and typically with that kind of changes, it takes longer when everybody thinks it does. But once it does happen goes quicker than everybody expected right mm. so um that's uh, a sort
0: of what bill gates said right we overestimate things in the short term and underestimate it exactly term, exactly right? it's
1: precisely that yeah. right so and i do think um, a lot of the knowledge around um, building cars that has been accumulated in german oems so that that will stay viable in 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 the future right so but they have to let go on a lot of other knowledge right? yeah and very rapidly learn things like software Mm. Right, So that's, uh, and I see some OEMs quicker picking up on that than others, Yeah, right? And uh, the fact that Tesla is building a gigafactory right in the center of German car industry (laughs) should wake up everybody in that industry by now, if they're not awake yet. Right, indeed. (laughs) I think
0: if they're not awake yet, I think that's a big concern. I, I think at least the boards of all big companies are fairly awake. The question is sort of about, can the board drive the whole company through that change? Because... Working it out with the labor unions and rethinking the business model is something very difficult. Maybe so they have something to learn from TomTom on that. Yeah. <laughs> very good, Heiko. Um, so, well, we, we did some predictions here and there. And, uh, but now, so you mentioned you have a 10 year old son. What would you say f- to your son, ha- like with all the changes that are happening in the space of mobility, or what would be one or two things that you say, listen, for you to succeed in this world? this is what you should keep an eye on or yeah. what what are the maybe uh let's say
1: aspects that are important yeah um two things so one we have a conversation around that he you have to learn coding right so that's the new literacy send, him to right? Them. Right. Yeah, yeah, send them to code <laughs> or any, right. any other institution but no, if, no, so what used to be reading and writing coding mm. is the third one mm. those are the basic skills it simply you have to learn them, right? right. And the second one is creativity. Right? Absolutely. So the one thing that a computer and even the most sophisticated AI or machine learning cannot do is uh, be creative and think of new stuff, right? So that's the one thing that the brain will keep properly as the last resort of, of security, right? Fantastic. Yeah, great. And now
0: what I would add to that is being critical. Yeah. I think once you're critical and you say, "Why does it work like this?" Maybe I can re-question it. That's when it engulfs that level of yeah. creativity to yeah. actually solve that. Yeah, great. It was great having you on our uh, episode today, and I think there's a lot of interesting things, to, you know, food for thought. And it's already <laughs> lunchtime, and uh, so I'm sad not to have Jonathan here. He is in New York, but uh, we had a great chat, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and have a good day here in Amsterdam. Cheers, thank you.